0: So, in uh, 2008, as a a newly sober guy and an even newer Christian, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Guatemala, and during that trip, it was, yeah, 2008, it was during that trip that everything for me changed. It was uh, just a life-changing trip for me, and it put me on a trajectory that brought me here today. If I hadn't gone on that trip, I'm pretty positive I wouldn't be standing here today. So a lot of good things. Some also weird things happened on that trip, and and one of them was we were doing a weekly day camp for kids, so like a VBS, if you've been in church uh, any length of time. And during the VBS, we would have a break in the middle of the day and usually give out juice and cookies and and stuff like that to the kids, and sometimes their moms were there too. And so uh, our interpreter is a guy named Eric. He went to go up to ask them with the microphone if anybody needed any more juice and I was excited, and, and so I said, hey, can I go up and, and ask them if they want more juice? And he's like, oh, I, I see what could possibly go wrong with that. And so he teaches me how to say the thing, and, and it, so it's like something along the lines of, two Hugo. And I, so I go up there, but somewhere in between him telling me what to say and me grabbing the microphone, I managed to change the word Hugo to the derogatory, swear-word version of behind. (laughs) So I went up there and I asked a room full of small children and most of their mothers if anybody needed any more swear-word version of behind. It was awesome. (laughs) Weirdly enough, nobody said yes. There was just a sort of stunned silence, and so I walked into the back all proud, thinking I'd done my job, and I was met with this laughing interpreter and and really shocked teammates because he had let them in on the little secret. So they all asked me, they're like, do you want to know what you just said? I I don't know. I I don't know if I want to know what I just said, and I found out, and I was obviously mortified. It was brutal. Anyway, on the last day of this trip, Eric had to go up and he was going to do the same thing. And I looked at him and he took one look at me. He's like, there's no way. There's not a chance, pal. And I was like, come on, let me redeem myself. I just want to go up back there. And he goes, okay. But he's like, we're going to, we're going to walk through this again. And so we, and I'd been thinking about it. And so I go up there and I grab the microphone and all of a sudden all the moms there went like this, right? (laughs) Like, what? What is this guy gonna say this time? But I nailed it. I was like two TN is who go, to which they were all woo, all happy that the gringo said the right word. Redemption. It was awesome. Second chances, right? Second chances. For whatever reason, when you think about it, this this time of year is all about second chances. Time of year is all about second chances. Many popular stories have been written about second chances. Uh, Many of you may have already watched It's a Wonderful Life this year. Many of you probably are going to watch It's a Wonderful Life. I know we plan on it. And this is the story that chronicles a gentleman by the name of George Bailey. And he starts to get it in his head that the world would be a better place without him. And so his behavior starts to spiral out of control. And then through a series of sort of wacky encounters, he gets an opportunity to see... What life would be like if he didn't exist. And so then he gets a second chance to change his thinking. But will he? You're going to have to watch and find out. Or how about Charles Dickens's Charles Dickens' famous tale, A Christmas Carol, which chronicles the lovely Ebenezer Scrooge, who's known for his greed, And then through another series of, for him, unfortunate events, he gets to see just how his greed plays out in the world. And then at the end, he's met with a second chance. He gets an opportunity to change his ways a little bit. But will he? As we continue our story on the advent of Jesus, we've come to the birth of John the Baptist. We've already had that red, lovely Lee tonight. And so when we had last had this family together, John the Baptist's family, Zechariah and and Elizabeth, his dad, Zechariah, had been struck speechless by an angel for a lack of faith. But he wasn't struck dead. He was told that a time would come when his affliction would be lifted, that his affliction could be lifted. But would it? Well, yes. We we already know, right? We've heard the story. There's no cliffhanger here. We, we ask the question as we read something like that, well, well so what? Like what? What does that have to, or what does this mean for us, this story? And so as we go through that, if we, when we were paying attention earlier, there's so many themes that can be addressed in a story as rich as this. But I want to focus in on tonight on the grace of God. I want to focus on the grace of God. Because as we are drawing the observance of the Advent season to a close, This whole season we see is about the grace of God. Grace in sending Jesus for us. Grace in forgiveness. Grace in repaired relationship. And this series of events in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John are no different. It's grace for miles. There's so many cool things that are going on. The provision of a child. There's grace in that. The child who will announce the coming of the Lord. But also... There's grace shown to a man who messed up his first shot at doing right in the eyes of God. In his part to play in this whole story, he messed up. So Zechariah is given a second chance. And so I'd like for us to take this truth with us this morning, if we take nothing else away. And that's God's grace means it's not too late. God's grace means it's not too late. So now we're going to look at Zechariah. How he made use of this second chance. And there's a lot of principles, of course, I think that we could pull out of this. But I just want to name three because that's a nice round sermon-y kind of number. Three principles, not points, principles that we can pull out of this. So the first one that we learn as we were reading that passage is listen to your wife. It's the first. No, just kidding. That's, well, not really kidding. That's actually, guys, that's a really good principle to to live by. But that pretty much goes at all times. Uh, seriously, though, the, the, the first principle that we want to grab from that is learn from mistakes. Learn from mistakes, because we're going to make them. We're g- well, maybe you won't, but, but I will. See, when I first became a Christian, I was, I was really excited about my new faith. And so I would I, I listen to a ton of sermons, and I read lots of stuff. And uh, In particular, there was one famous preacher who will, and writer who will remain nameless that I, I read a lot of his things. And he, like, helped me grow, and I was, I was quite fond of. Uh, one day I was talking with somebody in my life that was very, very special to me, very, very close. I love this person a lot. Um, and remember, this is right at the beginning of my faith. I was probably less than a year in. And I'm talking to this person about evolution and creation. And the person I'm talking to uh, believes that evolution is the proper way of how people and stuff like that came about. that They believe in evolution. And I had just recently listened to a sermon by my hero on evolution and creation. And he had a quotable quote in there that said something to the effect of, time plus slime equals everything is the equation of an idiot. And, and, and so I, this person who had received the grace and love of God, turned around to this person that I love who wasn't a believer in Jesus, and I essentially called them an idiot because of what they believed. This was my way of, I love Jesus, and Jesus loved me so much that this is how I'm going to show this love by calling you person that I love, an idiot. Right? Oh, I could My, my arm almost fell off, slapping myself on the back, so hard. Did I disagree with his position? Sure. But that was a wildly inappropriate way of saying it. But I learned. I learned from that mistake. Maybe not right away. I had to think about it a bit. But although the look on their face as I said it sure helped speed along the process for me. And don't forget the hugo. Can never forget the Hugo. I learned from that one pretty quick. Two, that mistake. See, listen, friends, when we think about mistakes that we make, nothing will ever happen. No, No positive change can ever happen if we don't, first of all, admit the things that we do wrong, right? Like admit, well, that was a mistake. But then don't leave it there. But to actually think it through, think about it, and then try to figure out what to do better next time. Because there can be none of this, well, this is just who I am. I just make these sort of mistakes, and I, and I, you know, if I had said that about this person, oh, I just call people I love idiots. It doesn't, doesn't fly too good. So I need to be able to think to do stuff a little bit better because God's grace blows away any sort of excuse that we have to not treat people well and or to at least think about these mistakes we make. And Zechariah, he had a lot of time to think. It's great to have time to think before we speak, right, especially if we're writing an email, or a text message, a little heated something, think before we hit send. But often we, we, can, we can hit send a little bit too quick or say something a little bit too quick and then wish we could bring it back. See, Zechariah, he was in the conversation timeout chair for like nine months, right? He was, the, he was in the timeout chair for a really long time. You ever try to have a conversation like we read in the, in the text that he had to pull out a tablet when they asked him what the name was? it was literally like a wooden slate with wax on it that he'd have to write with like a rock. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with something like that? Neither have I, neither have I, but I bet the going is really slow. I, I bet you can't get out, like there's no type in 90 words a minute with a wax tablet. So the dude had many silent nights and not just the Christmas kind to help him think through exactly what he'd done. So I want you to imagine with me just for a minute as, as we think about this, because verse 62 tells us that he wasn't just not able to speak, but he couldn't hear either because they were, they were signing to him. So he wasn't able to speak, he had to listen, or he couldn't hear anything too. So not able to speak, not able to hear. You think he was able to block out some of the noise that impacts us, that it impedes our ability to, to hear God? I know for myself, the noise that typically I make with my own mouth is enough to block out anything God's trying to say to me. But it'd be tough. So this, is, this could be what's called a, a severe mercy. A severe mercy. And this is when sometimes God does things in our life that hurt a little bit, clears away things that may hinder us from being able to sense him or to experience him, to talk to Him, to hear Him, to be in relationship with Him. And oftentimes, these things that get cleared away are, are things that are closest to our heart. And so when, when they go, it hurts. So this leaves us with a choice. Like we can either shake our fist at God or we can nestle into Him or, or lean into Him as the current church lingo goes. Zechariah, he leaned in. I'm going to infer from his response that he owned this mistake and then he learned from it. But what's the point of learning from something if it doesn't play out in future action? So this leads to our second principle. So the first is learn from our mistakes. Second one, be ready. Is anyone here also planning challenged? Planning challenged? Like yeah, two, yeah, two thumbs way up. Right? Like anybody who who knows me at all, who's ever tried to plan anything with me, knows that I'm pretty good at coming up with ideas. But I'm pretty bad at executing or laying out the steps that are going to make that plan come into fruition. In other words, I'm not the guy you want planning your camping trip. Otherwise, you know, little things might be missing when you get there, like food. Or on the flip side, something to cook the food. I'm not not even joking. I've shown up at a camping trip with frozen hot dogs, with no buns, and nothing to make a fire with. Right? This guy. Checklists are now my friend, and also an administratively gifted, lovely wife. But it's hard to be ready if we if we don't plan to be ready. Remember the Hugo? I had a plan. I had to be ready to rock and roll when that opportunity came up. Here's another question for you. Has anyone ever messed up anything in your life? Been a little... Done something? Try to, try to think... Try, just right now, try to think of something that you've done that, that makes you cringe. Let's, let's, let's have a fun little thought experiment right now. Something maybe that you said. Something maybe that you did. Or maybe even something that you thought... That that just kind of makes you cringe. Everybody got theirs? So if you were put in a same or similar situation, would you be ready to do different? Would you be ready to do different? I see, I I bet you would. I bet you would be ready to do different, especially if you've thought about it, if you've already thought about it. See, remember Zechariah, timeout chair, He thought about it. And when the opportunity came, when his family looked past the woman, remember first century, they asked Elizabeth first, what's the name? And she says, John. And they're like, ha, 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 silly woman. You couldn't possibly know what the name of your kid is. So they look past her and go to Zechariah. Zechariah signing. You don't want to name him John, do you? You want to name him something like Zechariah, because that's what people do. Zechariah, you must have some sense. Wrong. Wrong, says Zechariah. No hesitation. He called for that tablet, and he wrote out as fast as he could, his name is John. My wife was right. Listen to her. His name is John. He was ready to rock and roll when the time came. See, this scene actually reminds me of an inverted Eden, an inverted Garden of Eden. In this case, Elizabeth isn't talked into disobeying God. And Zechariah doesn't encourage sin with his silence. She does the right thing, and he backs her up. Their team. See, any way you look at it, this was Zechariah finally expressing his obedience to God. In in verses 63 and 64, they show us that that Gabriel's prophecy, remember, Gabriel had come and, and prophesied to him in the temple. And he said he wouldn't be able to speak again, until these things came true. <clears throat> it says these things. But he didn't mean the birth. When we read that, we, we start to think, oh, it's, well, when John's born, but John had already been born for eight days and he still couldn't speak or hear. So it wasn't, those are not the things that needed to come true. It wasn't until he obeyed that he could speak again. See, God isn't looking for mere mental assent to what he says. He's not looking for us to be like, good idea, God, like, woohoo. He's looking for some follow through. He's looking for us to act. He's looking for us to learn to be ready, and then to do the next right thing. I, I love this quote by a guy named Samuel Beckett. He he writes, "Ever tried? Ever failed? No matter. Try again. Fail again. Fail better." Because I, I think we all know that we're going to make mistakes. This isn't you know a, a like an argument to make mistakes. Hey, let's go make more mistakes. But this is just being realistic and knowing that we're going to goof up. But we can fail forward. We, we can try to be moving in the right direction because that's what really matters. Where we are on the journey, the direction that we're pointing. So this is how this applies to us, how this whole thing applies to us. We always want to be ready to do the right thing. Why is that? Because Jesus is calling us to. Tim Keller writes, obedience is not a condition for being a follower of Jesus, but it is a sign that we are one. We don't need to obey Jesus to become a Christian. Remember, it's grace alone. But we do need to obey him to show that we have become one. If we do obey Jesus, even imperfectly, it is a sign that we love him, which is is itself a sign that we are loved by God. So this leads to our third principle. And our third one is give God the glory. Now, this sounds like a really obvious one, kind of a Captain Obvious kind of moment, but I I know that the human heart can be desperately wicked and claim victory for itself. How do I know that? Because I got one. And so did Zechariah. He could have just, you know, dropped the mic, sat back, and been like, yeah, I just listened to that angel. I obeyed. I called him John. See how spiritual I am? See, I'm not too sure if I've shared this before, but a comedian a number of years ago was doing this bit, and he, was, he has a problem with people bragging about things that they just should be doing. And so at this point in the, in the routine, he was getting after guys who talk about, like, they're comparing themselves to their friends who don't look after their kids. And he's like, and they're like, I look after my kids, and he's like, you want a cookie? You're supposed to look after your kids. Like, come on. And see, I've met people in churches who, who do stuff, really spiritual, like do something like obedient to God. They're just doing something great. But then they look around to see who's watching. And before you think I'm getting all like Judge Judy on you, this is me, right? Like I, I have literally done this before. Said something, been at like a, a prayer meeting and looked around to see who. after I say something, is anybody writing that down? Is anybody taking a note? I've said things and sat back and, and I've waited for the Christian moves. Remember when we talked about the, the Christian moves? You say something real spiritual and you, and you kind of wait for a second for the, hmm, yeah, brother, amen. You, you kind of wait for that, Right? Hmm, the Christian moose. See, it's dairy farmers. You guys know about the, you guys know about the Christian moose. Hmm, amen, right? These are like likes on Christian verbal posts, right? These are, they get me jazzed, right? You know what I'm talking about. See, Zechariah had the opportunity to sit. Hmm, yeah, amen, me. Zechariah had the opportunity to sit back after naming him the name God wanted, but he didn't. He, du- he doubled down and went off on something called the Benedictus or, or Benedictus. This glorious spoken word, this song, this is a consummation of all the thinking that Zechariah had been doing over the previous many, many months. And th- these are the conclusions that he's drawn after being effectively like disciplined by Gabriel. And make no mistake, he was disciplined and the discipline worked. Like It, 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 it was effective this discipline, and gave Zechariah the, the perspective he needed to change his tune, as it were, from unbelief to undeniable praise. And, and what a song. Like, we, we hit verse 67, and it starts talking about prophecy, that this is prophecy. He got up, and after his tongue was loosed, he started prophesying. But this isn't just the future-telling kind, though There. are is that in it? This is also the fourth telling kind where he starts praising God and giving him glory for all of this stuff. So in verses 68 to 75, we see just that, that talking about the amazingness of God. But then in verses 76 to 79, he starts to discuss John's future ministry. And I, I want to read those verses for us again because they're, I think, really, really poignant for us. And he says, A new child will be called the prophet. Of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And here it is because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Don't forget, this is the guy who would raise John the Baptist. What he learned from this episode helped shape his fatherly advice. Commenting on this song of Zechariah, a guy named Daniel Darling writes that, a sunrise or day spring from on high has visited us. This is a new dawn. Quoting Isaiah, Zechariah says that those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death would now have light. Zechariah now sees his story as part of God's long story from Abraham through David. The long-awaited time had come. The narratives of Israel, every single life story from Abraham to Malachi were, not, were, only, ever, were only ever small dramas in the grand story story of Jesus. The message of Christmas then is not about manufacturing sentimental feelings in vain hopes of a miracle. It's about believing the reality that God has birthed something new in Jesus, and because of this, God will birth something new in you and in me. I love that. The narratives of Israel, every single life story from Abraham to Malachi were only ever small dramas in the grand story grand story of Jesus. I got British there for a second. Do you know that you are all, all of you, are a life story in that same lineage if you've put your faith in Jesus because of God's mercy in your life? all part of that same story. So when any of us are in a similar situation, one where we goofed up, when we did something wrong, I pray that this is how we respond. How Zechariah responded. We learn from it, we stay ready to make things right, and then we give God all the glory. Listen, all of us are likely to have something or someone come to mind when we think of the words, it's too late. It's too late to fix that relationship. It's too late to offer forgiveness when I should have. It's too late to ask for it. It's too late to make up for lost time. But it's not. Yes, the the people that those regrets may be attached to may be gone, but God is not. And if we sinned against someone, we sinned against God, and it's not too late to ask for forgiveness. It's not too late to do the next right thing, because God's grace means that it's not too late. And nowhere was that grace manifested more concretely than when Jesus sacrificed himself for the sake of humanity. We're going to move into our time of communion now. And I wanted just to read from Luke 22, verses 14 to 22. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, If you've never been here for one of our communion services before, we come up and and partake. Sarah and I will be on either side and we're going to hold it for you. So you you take it and then you you dip, dunk it and just take it as you go. Our good friend Nate is going to be playing a couple of songs. So take your time. Get your heart right with God as we participate in this together as a family. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us. But mostly, Father, we want to thank you for your son. As we think about this Christmas season and, and all of the grace that you have lavished on us throughout all the year, but in particular in our remembrance in this season of Advent of Jesus' coming and then Jesus coming again, cannot but think of this sacrifice that, that he made for us and, and we're so grateful for that. So as we Take this bread and this juice now, Lord. We do it in remembrance of you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name.